In movies, at least, that accent almost always accompanied a religious bend, sometimes a fundamentalist furor. Keith thought of that and then considered what he had in the U-Haul. He wasn't toting around rubber Frankenstein masks and those plastic garbage bag ghosts that you hang on your tree during October. No, he was a modern horror director, someone who made transgressive films. There was some real sickness back in the trailer, a girl's severed head with her nipples stapled over her eyes, a torso that had a series of holes bored into it, the uses for the holes not a mystery if you thought about their circumference for too long not to mention a box full of erotic comics that he'd traded a few of his own DVDs for in the vendor's room. The comics weren't anything that he had creative involvement with, but still, they were pretty extreme. The silent cop, Benny, had attended the convention and was probably cool with anything. But how much of a horror fan was his partner? Could he roll hard into the gore shit? I guess I can show you, but I do have to warn you, officer, it's not for the faint of heart. Some of it's pretty gross. Oh, never mind that. The cop waved the flashlight. I can handle it. Seen all those Saul movies. And it won't take us but a minute, and then we'll have you on your way. Nothing the man had just said put Keith at ease. Those were mainstream movies. Keith said okay, and then shut off his engine, realizing he needed the key ring to open the hitch. There was that crack of gravel again, in stereo, as both cops walked back to the trailer. Without the dashboard lights, there was just the single blue police light spinning, It struck Keith as odd that the cops didn't have their own headlights on, and even odder that they didn't have a red light to accompany the blue one. He double-checked that the car was in park, not wanting to become a YouTube sensation if he left it in neutral and the cops had a dashboard cam. Then he hefted himself back out the door, keys in hand. It took a moment for Keith's eyes to adjust to the darkness. When they did, he realized the cop car he was looking at wasn't a cop car at all. It was a beat-up late 90s sedan with a matte black paint job and a single dashboard strobe. The strobe was the kind of light you could buy at Spencer's Gifts. Keith followed the bigger cop, Benny, to the back of the trailer. He could see that while the man did have the characteristic cop belt-slash-holster combo cinched around his waist, he was wearing black jeans. Up top, Benny was wearing what looked like the kind of plastic bag special button-down shirt that you'd buy at Marshall's. The shirt was baby blue instead of the NJPD's darker shade. The man wasn't wearing a hat, and from where Keith was standing, he couldn't even be sure if there was a badge anywhere on him. The cop's shirt didn't even have those little flaps on the shoulders. Shit, Keith thought, realizing something about these two. This area must have been so tax cash poor and backwater that the county's police department couldn't afford proper uniforms. That was a sad state of affairs even to Keith, who hated cops. Maybe all those anti-Obama bumper stickers he'd seen out here were onto something. They reached the U-Haul door and Benny turned, crossing his arms over his chest and looking bored. There was the glint of gold over his heart, a badge. Behind the beam, flashlight cop seemed to be similarly attired, but was himself wearing a pair of dark khakis. Watch out, someone's dressing for the job they want and it's on track to make captain. It's some real sick stuff back here. You sure you want to see it? Keith asked one last time, pretty confident he'd made his point by now. I am so sure, flashlight cop said. Beside him, Benny stood sentinel, quiet but looming in his clip-on badge and black jeans. Keith bent and unlocked the hatch, then lifted it up with solid metal clatter, the chain and pulley making the same sound a roller coaster made as it brought you up for your first drop. But there was also another sound over his shoulder, 
coming from where Benny was standing. It was kind of a click. Nito, the cop who'd done all the talking, said. Keith turned, putting his hand up to shield his eyes as he found the beam of the flashlight back in his face. Blinded by the light, Keith Lumbra never saw what cracked him in the face, splitting his nose in two. Rory hit the man a second time with a ferocity that to his partner registered as a killing blow. Be careful, Teeks warned, but not saying anything else as Rory scooped up the film director's unconscious body and laid him down roughly inside the trailer hitch. If the director slept for any length of time, balled up like that, he would have a hell of a sore neck. But maybe that was the least of his problems, considering the blood pouring from his nose. Rory shuddered the trailer, took the keys from out of the lock, and wiped his baton off on his pant leg. The bloodstain was invisible against the big man's black denim jeans.